I don't know whether the angel spoke to Swedenborg in Latin. Intra in cubiculum tuum, et claude januum et intende opere in kepto in apocalypse. Or perhaps it was Swedish. Goina de trum stang dorin uupmerksama de arbete du harboriat me apocalypse. In any case, this angel gave Swedenborg his marching orders to go into his room, close the door, and finish his work on the book of Revelation. Here we are, inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we share about the seeds of love planted in tough times. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, pins down the time when an angel intervened in Swedenborg's publishing program. Then we travel to 1770, when after a turbulent year, Swedenborg began printing his work, True Christianity, this week in history. Hello, Curtis. Hey, Chelsea. It's good to be back. It is good to have you here and to be doing another episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this past week on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, we were exploring our episode, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? The ultimate question. (laughs) Unfair. Totally unfair. (laughs) It's so unfair. Um, And if you're listening to this but haven't seen the show yet, you can find it on YouTube or listen to it as a podcast on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. And as we often do, we have a reflection question for us to respond to. And uh, here it is. When have you felt like you grew spiritually because of a difficult period in your life? And that's a spoiler alert if you haven't listened to the show yet, because that's really what the why do bad things happen to good people is. Uh, These hard times that we go through actually function pretty well for growing us spiritually. So Yeah, like create the only conditions under which the certain chemical reactions can happen. Like, yes. you know, the, the certain parts of spiritual growth, Swedenborg says, you've got to go through this stuff. And we were, I was just talking about this with someone about how like, it's the nature of muscle strengthening that it's like, it's built into our body that these poor little muscle fibers are having to like, uh, you know, rip. And then that's what sort of signals the body of like, okay, we need to build more muscle to handle this, you know, the work that this body has to do. So it's like I know. these difficult periods strengthen us. It's and you absolutely built in. You cannot flip that switch and just say grow muscle. Like it's not a feature of the human body. Yes, you have to. You have to go and lift weights until it hurts. Yes, until you feel like I can't do this anymore. So oh man, Terrible. so tough. So when have you felt like you've? grown spiritually because of a difficult period in your well, life. Well, if you go to the webs as of this recording, if you go to our website and look at the like Curtis bio, uh, it starts out talking about, hey man, guess what? Curtis was a basket case in college and <laughs> that's why <laughs> he needed spiritual stuff. And so, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, all of my growth has, there's been some big punctuated sessions where I feel like I've really been up against it and from that it just drives you to really have to lean on your spiritual principles and really have to let go of things that you would never let go of if you weren't um sort of under it and i'm i'm really sort of on the tail end of one of these periods right now i mean we just released a video about 
sort of uh, this summer I've had a lot of health issues and and then now some mental health issues dealing with like panic and stress and mm-hmm. I, it's it's not like oh I'd love to go prescribe that to people but oops yeah I do see myself progressing and finding negative things that I used to kind of tolerate distasteful and seeing more appreciation for the things that mm. are that are beautiful and important in life so I'm not happy about it but it's happening I think it's just happening yes and that I feel like you put your finger on it with saying like the negative things that I used to tolerate, I find distasteful now. To me, that seems like I resonate with that of like when I've gone through hard times, it feels sometimes they feel like it's it's this painful, but what I'm so grateful for afterwards of a waking up, you know, the shining a light and realizing, oh, there were these burdens in my mind that really don't need to be there anymore. And And that relates to like, you know, probably the biggest trauma of my life was losing my mom when I was um, 10. And, and that's a real hard one. You know, like, I, I honestly feel like I've just lived in a traumatized state for 20 years afterwards, you know, at least. And, but that in my 30s, it really felt like I started to be led to heal from that trauma in a way that I, you know, I mean, I had thought about it, you know, processed things, been to therapy, all this kind of stuff, but like, you can't, you can't rush that kind of healing. And I think the Lord's providence is like connected to that. And it's like, I don't wish trauma on anybody, but it's the, it's when you, when you learn that you can actually heal from trauma, that that is like, that just opens up so many you know, spiritual truths in your mind and in your heart, like being able to actually connect with like the reality of love and, and everything. And it's, so it's like the difficult thing maybe happened decades ago, but, uh, and, and it was difficult for a long time. But even in that case, I feel like there's, uh, yeah, kind of like, I don't know if you'd think of it as like latent, you know, seeds in the ground that have yet to find the right moment to germinate. But then when they do, it's just this completely, you know, new way of being. And that's, so I've definitely felt like I've grown spiritually, although that doesn't take away how hard, you know, the trauma and difficult parts of our lives are. So yeah, yeah, it's quite a mixed bag. (laughs) Well, that's so powerful. And thank you for, for sharing that really personal and really potent story. And I agree that that sentiment look, it's not like saying everything's okay or this stuff isn't bad. I don't even think we're supposed to get to a point where we say, maybe not anytime soon, where we say, oh, it's all right. It was all all right. It's okay, God. I'm not, I don't hold any grudges. We'll probably hold some grudges. Yes, but otherwise I think you're that, not human. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. But the point that I feel like I get to is, wow, I, I really don't want my life to stop. Like I really like life. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Because even like when I was getting really stressed out and like, oh, am I going to get sick and die? I really found like, oh, you know what? I love life. (laughs) I don't love the suffering in it, but the good stuff is so good that I really want that stuff. And I sort of think about all the stuff that people Mm. have been through and what I've been through. And it's, I I guess, getting to a point where you're like, oh, well, I I don't want to get off this train now. And and I'm so excited about what's ahead that that's that's one of the facets of what we're of what the good results are. You know, and we go and we lose people, but when we're back, we see them in the afterlife and we wouldn't say, oh, I want to go back and change it. We're just excited for the people we are now and the potential. Yeah. yeah. And there's such a sense of like humility of feeling just 
yeah, willing to surrender all the circumstances and realize how lucky you are for just the the present moment that you have, which is uh, which is great. Yeah, I feel like you and, said that really well. And you can't you can just say you feel grateful for the present moment and stuff, but you can't really understand it till you feel like the present moment <laughs> was going to be taken away from you. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks. That's fun to discuss with you. And if you're listening and you want to hear or read about other people's responses, you can find them on our community tab on our YouTube channel or on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and join the conversation yourself. Every, every week we post a new reflection question on Thursdays. So then looking forward to this upcoming week on the Off the Left Eye channel, we've got another show for you and it is called The Real Identity of the Angel Gabriel in the Christmas Story. And so to come along the journey with us, you can watch on Monday, The Swedenborgian Life. And then on Wednesday, we've got our news from heaven and then the live Q&A show on Friday. So thanks, Curtis, for being here. My pleasure. And I look forward to catching up with you at the end of the show to see where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history. All right. It is time now for the NCE Spotlight. Let's see what discoveries are being made in the work of the NCE. And to do that, I have here with me Dr. Jonathan Rose. Welcome. Thank you, Chelsea. Yes, what's what's happening? What have you got for us today? Well, I want to talk about when an angel intervened in Swedenborg's publishing program. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I would have to say, Swedenborg has some great things to say about self-compulsion and the freedom involved in self-compulsion. Yep, yep. And uh, doing editorial work, translating all those sorts of things that the New Century Edition involves takes a lot of self-discipline and stick-to-itiveness, as they say. And, yeah, right. And, uh, and just trying to sort of psych yourself out and talk yourself, you know, into doing it again. It interests me a great deal that Swedenborg, who was a team of one in this world, as far as I know, there was no one working with him on this side of the veil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time when he needed an angel to tell him literally to go into his room and close the door and get back to work. <laughs> and, uh, and this has become something of a motto for some people who work on the NCE. I've had it on my you know bulletin board for a, a while now. It's from Marriage Love 522. Do you happen to have it there? Uh, yeah. So here's, here's what that number says. Um, he says, at that time, I heard, well, I guess you'll, you'll probably give the context of where this comes in, but he says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, go into your chamber, shut the door and attend to the work begun on the apocalypse and pursue this in two years to a conclusion. Yeah, he even gives him a deadline, which is he does. very helpful <laughs> when you're kind of stuck on something. I'm kind of glad to hear this because it's like, you'd think... All right, if Swedenborg has this open communication with angels and spirits, I'm glad to know that something like this happened sometime because it's the dream, isn't it? Like, I kind of wish an angel would give, tell, you know, push me around a little bit. Well, it is kind of reassuring. Sometimes you do do need that little impetus. And, and um, so I've reflected on this. This is published in his work on marriage, Marriage right. Love in 1768. Uh, but the work that it's talking about that he needed to get cracking on uh, 
was yes. Revelation Unveiled, or also traditionally titled Apocalypse Revealed, which came out in 1766. So yes. it seems as though he's reporting in 1768 on an event that happened somewhere around 1764 that this angel intervention happened. Yes, and of course, in our in these segments, we've been covering you know, his unfinished work on Revelation. So even the Revelation Unveiled was, again, this second t- try at, at uh, you know, giving, giving the inner meaning to the book of Revelation. In a way, you could say um, that he fell off the horse completely. I mean, you know, he stopped partway through chapter 19, verse 10, and, and didn't resume with it. And so obviously he'd run into some kind of a roadblock. We don't quite know what it is. And we talked about that in a previous podcast. Yeah. Several of them, I think. But the, um, so uh, I recently came to develop a theory of what it was that he was interested in doing that the angel was telling him not to do. Yes. And I think what he was interested in doing was writing about marriage. And I think a little hint of this is the fact that it's in the book on marriage that he tells this story, (laughs) almost as if to say, this is why this was pushed back to 1768, you know, because the angels, sorry, but the angel told me I needed to do, you know, the book of Revelation, explain that by 1766. And so I did that first. And the reason I say that is that in 1764, he wrote a first just one-page sketch on the subject of marriage. And this was by no means the beginning of his interest in it. He's got wow. material back in Secrets of Heaven. If you dial back even further in their sort of transitional work called History of Creation, he's got a little bit about it in there. He's even going back into his pre-theological works on um, natural philosophy. He's got material about marriage and this amor conjugialis, this marriage love uh, that becomes quite a focus of his. So it's Hmm. been a long interest. And I think in 1764, he's just finished the 1763s and Divine Providence, and he got that block of work done, a big block of work that that had been building up for quite some time. And I think what he instinctively wanted to do at that point was to write about marriage. Okay, let's go. This is it. Yes, and he writes a sketch. That's amazing. Yeah, he writes a sketch. And if you look in the material at the end of Revelation Explained, he has material in there on marriage, like he's thinking Mm. a lot about marriage. Hmm. Also, if you look in his uh, diary called The Spiritual Experiences, toward the end there, uh, getting on for about this time period, 1764, uh, the whole book ends with 61... 10, I think it is, is just a long thing with 82 subsections on the sec- on the subject of marriage. Wow. And he describes a marriage, which we did an Off the Left Eye show about at one point. And um, so it seems like marriage is on his brain at that point. Yes. And so he writes a sketch of this. And then we have a second kind of sketch on marriage. And the date of the first sketch is 1764. And the date of the seven- second one is 1766, like something interrupted that flow of thought about marriage. And he picked it back up in 1766, I assume, after 
uh, Revelation Unveiled was at least started being printed or, or something. Right. There's a certain two-year gap in there. <laughs> so I think he wanted to write about marriage. And it was like a kid saying, can I have dessert? And the angel said, you need to finish everything, you know, eat your beans, <laughs> yes. eat the mashed potatoes. Uh Please write about the book of Revelation and finish that work because you started that first. Get that done in the next two years. Then you can write about marriage all you want, which, which he did. Right. And so Revelation Unveiled did come out in 1766, right? That's right. When he wrote that second sketch on marriage and then it's another two years and then he's printing That's right. Marriage Love. And there's a number of drafts in there about marriage. So... I, wow. I have this working theory that's just formed recently that that it was really marriage that he was thinking of doing next. And so an angel thought, uh-oh, if he does marriage, we're never going to get that explanation of the book of Revelation that we need here. <laughs> so I'd better go down and intervene. And so Swedenborg hears this voice from heaven saying, go in your room, close the door, Shut the door. and pay attention, <laughs> you know, focus on the book that you started on, the, you know, the, the draft that you started on the book of Revelation and uh, over the next two years, bring it to a conclusion. Wow. That is so cool. And I, so the context of where that like statement comes up in 522, like I looked to see what was, had been just happening and it is one of his memorable occurrences where he's relaying this like fantastical vision that he's witnessing in in the world of spirits of seeing these satyrs he says and like all of you know every representations are in full effect like he sees this lake of fire and this forest and all this stuff and he's interacting with these spirits and challenging them about adultery and like all of this stuff and it and it, it I was struck actually cuz he says that he sort of makes jokes with them until, yes. and then he kind of like brings it home into this serious subject of like, well, now tell me what you think of adultery. You know, so it's interesting. He's like, he's engaging with spirits in the spiritual world on the subject of marriage. And I can imagine that like, he's really into that. And it's right after that experience that then oh. he's like, and then I heard a voice from heaven being like, all right, go work on that book on Revelation, you know, finish yeah. that up. So it's like to, that it's not just he was thinking about marriage, his whole experience, his spiritual experiences were having this marriage focus to them too. Right. Oh, very interesting. That's amazing to to hear the context of, to even to be able to think that that was probably happening around 1764. And then you got two years until Revelation unveiled. I'd never heard that before. So. And, and he, the, the way that you can see Revelation unveiled is very, as I think we were discussing before, very clipped, very no-nonsense. Here's some passages, right. get to the next thing, boom, 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 boom. You know, I mean, he's <laughs> under orders. He's got a real challenge to 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 finish that off in a couple of years. So, and, and he That's loved right. that topic too. He'd been promising people that topic as well. So the and angel said, really has to get okay, to work. this first, then that. Yes, because right, we did say how he doesn't finish uh he doesn't just redraft Apocalypse Explained. It's really a new work from the get-go. From the beginning, that's right. A, a yes. complete rewrite that he undertakes and with a kind of a different focus. And oh, that, That's a so fun little interesting. thing to talk about. 
Yes, it is. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. And shall we go onward now to see where Swedenborg was this week in history? Yes. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hey there. Yes, here we are to go to this week in history for Swedenborg. And so this week, our guy Swedenborg was, um, well, in Amsterdam, I believe. Um, And in early December in 1770 is when Swedenborg began printing his final work, True Christianity. And... This is remarkable because True Christianity had an unusual path to printing and actually has some unusual things that happened after its printing got going, which we talked about in actually episode seven of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. And so we, Swedenborg had a pretty regular track record with how things went when he was publishing a book. He would write the rough draft. And then he'd write a fair copy, you know, making some changes or whatever. And then the fair copy would go to the printer, just like boom, boom, boom. And yet true Christianity has this different uh, trajectory and it goes through quite a ride before he gets to the point of printing. And so I thought we could explore some of this backstory that brings us to this week in history when he actually gets going on the printing. Let's do it. So at the end of the book, um, Marriage Love, he has this little list of here's what I've printed and here's what you can expect from me. And he says within two years, he's going to give he's going to be printing this work that covers the whole doctrine of the new church. And he really is referencing that I'm going to write this book, True Christianity. And yet it takes him longer than he was anticipating. And so... Uh, Marriage Love was published in 1768, and then in 1769, he's realizing, in early 1769, he's realizing this whole thing, writing this, you know, comprehensive doctrine of the new church is going to take longer. He prints what's called, uh, what's known as brief exposition or survey of the doctrines of the new church in the uh, new century edition or teachings maybe, and it's sort of a mini version of TC. He even says in the preface to this small work that it's going to take me longer. And so I'm printing this book now as a precursor to that other work that I'm intending. So he already gets that, okay, this is going to take me longer than I thought. But right after he prints this work survey, he learns that his good friend, Dr. Beyer, um, and another guy, uh, Rosen, are under attack in Sweden for their connection to Swedenborg's teachings, or that really Swedenborg's teachings themselves in Sweden are being called, are being accused for being heretical. Um, Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, they called them in the highest degree injurious. And interestingly, what seemed to trigger this was that everybody was okay as long as these works were in Latin, but Hmm. three of the four things that kind of triggered this uh, trial were that Swedenborg's thoughts or even translations of his writings were issued in Swedish. Oh, and interesting. Now that's a problem because 
the clergy can discuss in Latin, you know, the the learned people and so on. But but as soon as you're trying to tell mom and pop and the kid next door, you know, uh, that that's bad. We've got to shut this down. We we have to stop this. Wow. Yeah. And so it gets taken. It's this statement by a bishop. Am I right in the Gothenburg consistory? Um, and and so he gets word that this has happened. And he was intending to send his buddy buyer in Sweden his like some copies of this new of the small work survey. And he ends up only sending him one and says, like, don't share this with anybody or it's only going to get, you know, us in uh, more trouble than we already are because the people are just going to reject these ideas because the the new church theology just goes against the current Christian theology, the theology of his day so strongly. People were um, finally figuring that out. Yes, right. <laughs> and and so, but so at that point, he in this we've got a letter that he's written to Bayer and where he says that, and then he tells Bayer that he's going to Paris, and at this point he has a draft of true Christianity, and I wonder if hearing about the trial in Sweden and the new attack that has just arisen, if that is partly what leads him to redraft true Christianity for a second time, because it's at this point that he rewrites the thing and gives it, does some pretty large changes. One of which is that his, uh, he changes the focus of the audience. Like he had been intending it to only to be delivering this work, true Christianity to the clergy. And that's partly why he called it the doctrine of the new church. Right. And, um, but then he, he changes his mind and, and decides that he's going to write the work thinking of all four uh, parts of the diet, which we've talked about in other uh, episodes of this podcast. And so he changes the name to now the comprehensive theology of the new church. Well, he, he does make a number of changes at that time. And uh, so it's amazing that he must have knocked out a complete draft of this work uh, somewhere in between, you know, publishing uh, Marriage Love in late 1768 and then doing Survey um, in early 1769. It came out in late January, early February 1769. And then by April, he's already got a whole manuscript to show to the censor in, in Paris. Right, that's where he's going. Yeah, learns of the attack. And so some of the things that he does are really interesting, and we only know this because in survey, he prints, he's so bold as to print a table of contents of the work mm-hmm. that he's working on. And it changes. It changes quite a bit. And one of the most striking things that changes is that he just had one chapter at the beginning on God, and he splits that into three, and he has a chapter on the Father, a chapter on the Son, and a chapter on the Holy Spirit, which he had mm. never done before. Mm-hmm. But that seems like he's, you know, going after something about the clergy in a different way. Yes. And isn't it interesting that how we encounter Swedenborg, I'm assuming we all do, you know, we're, we're, we, we crack open in a nice purple volume, we're, we're meditative, we're trying to open our heart to heaven and reflect, you know, we put on some yes. candles, whatever we do. But the, <laughs> the crucible in which it was forged is like he's got, 
you know, some cranky bishop in mind. And it's just it's just funny to think that even though it, it was something that had to defend its very life at the time, it can just yes. reach right through as this, you know, uplifting, gentle, spiritual message hundreds of years later. It just speaks to some good inspiration. Totally. Well, it, it's reminiscent of what you guys were talking about earlier that um, in response to a challenge, right? He's um, Yes. Yeah, this is kind of a disaster in one way. Your mm-hmm. lower self would think this is horrible. You know, these works are on trial. These people who are following the books that I'm putting out are on trial and, and they did lose their jobs and stuff. Uh, they didn't get put to death, which was on the menu somewhere, but they did mm-hmm. lose their jobs. And and um, another thing he did to change it was he added a chapter on repentance, which I think is really interesting, uh, practical mm. information about how to live. Uh, True Christianity has the most practical information about, I don't know, paying your taxes and, and you know, donations to uh, charity as opposed to your job and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's not just the clergy he's talking to, but he is taking the clergy to task. And one of the things that he does right during that time period of this second draft is he studies the Acts and Epistles in the New Testament in a way that he never had before and indexes them. And he also studies and indexes the Lutheran Book of Concord, uh, which is kind of like the Swedenborg of the Lutheran Church, if you will. And And he gets sort of chapter and verse on that. Is it is it seeming like his objective has changed that with the first draft he's saying, okay, I'm going to, I really think these clergy are going to listen and I'm going to just try to talk to them. And the point of it was to be something that informed them on how to go carry out their church. Whereas maybe he's seeing these rumblings and realizing, look, there's going to be no peace here. I have to go for the heart of public consciousness. I have to plant this flag and say, this is actually, I I know the title wasn't this yet, but this is true Christianity. And the point of this is to replace what you've got uh, rather than maybe before he was more thinking he would, you know, kind of uh, nudge people. Yes. Right. I I think that's really true. And it's very interesting that that second draft, which seemed to be a complete reworking uh, took him all the way till June 19th of 1770 or yeah. June 18th or somewhere around there. In other words, 14 months uh, because he makes a statement toward the end of the book that says after this work was finished. And it seems like the work he's referring to was that second major overhaul. He was so efficient at at writing that 14 months was a long time for him to work. You know, he hadn't done that yes. before with his books to work on a complete second draft for over a year. And the interesting thing is that there's, if I have my calendar correct, there's some time between June 19th and what we're talking about in the first week in December. Yes. Well, and I think like, I want to touch back with what Curtis was saying, because I think part of this, one of the the issues that Swedenborg took when, first of all, he was never informed directly of this attack that had been made on his works. Um, And he was upset about that to have to find out sort of through the grapevine that his good friends of his were being, you know, charged and tried for, for their association with him and his works. And he 
just he held nobody none of you have actually read my books if you really studied them you'd see that they're not heresy at all you know like he really is saying all right i'm going to show you this really is true christianity like you're saying curtis and so i wonder if that's part of what led to him uh redrafting you know taking incorporating the book of concord and his study of the acts and epistles to really be like this is you know unequivocally non-heretical you know totally bible-based is sort of like the most genuine grounded understanding of theology you can have and like so he is he is ready for that yeah, like he's gonna they forced make it his hand right they forced him because yeah. he's saying okay i understand you guys are sitting there on theology hill and you are claiming that you are the direct link from the bible to in god to the human race but i see that you are not putting out good product and you're not going to change and so i have to say look this this is it and now the very fact the very uh, geographical center of the church is in question because you say it's with you guys and everyone assumes it's with you guys but i'm not buying it and i'm telling people that that actually it's over here yes mm. It is amazing. And so, yeah, like you're saying, Jonathan, he does, we know he says his first draft or like that, uh, I mean, he gets the second draft done in June of 1770. But then, yeah, it's another six months till December when he's actually printing it. And I don't know if we have much evidence of what's going on with him for those six months, but I just feel like this whole context is that this is this very, it's become this very weight-bearing book. You know, if he had right. been, if he had had some plans for it originally, it's it's taken on a new, you know, purpose and life because we know he intends to sort of give this to the diet or have it be this, you know, statement. Um, right, right. The diet being the Swedish uh, parliament or, or government meetings right. and... and um, so scholars uh, of a century ago came to believe that during those six months he did a complete third draft of the work, just reworked it again. And mm-hmm. I don't know when it happened, but a striking thing about true Christianity is that it has over 400 of these long similes. I studied them and wrote a paper on it and hmm. uh, made a presentation about it at some point. And... Uh, uh, long, elaborate similes, and uh, is this when that got in there? Was that to appeal to different kinds of minds, or, mm-hmm. or something? You know, what he he drafted it again, and then when he started printing it, his friend Kuno in Amsterdam said that he is not ahead of the printer at all. Like in other words, all of those w- would be considered rough drafts. And then he's doing the fair copy, and he's scarcely oh. ahead of the printer. Like each day, he's just wow. writing the fair wow. copy, handing it to them, and then, then it gets typeset. And then, okay, I better stay up tonight and get, get the next book's done, next page is done for the book. Wow, that is amazing. And then, yeah, so that's that's very cool to know. And I know that you know. Then it finally gets printed, June of 1771 and you'll have to listen to episode 70 hear more about what happens there but uh so yeah this week in early december swedenborg is beginning to print his crowning work of true christianity and it is in quite a turbulent moment for him Mm. 
which is just really fascinating to think about. Well, thank you so much, Curtis and Jonathan. It is always a pleasure to talk to you both. That was fun. Good fun. All right. I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You can subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offtheleftye.com. If you want to go the extra mile, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. But you know, having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening. Thank you.